Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the, the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. But you got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth your time. He's worth your life. And there's, there's nothing, this, this city, this nation, the nations of the world are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you, is standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly, there is nothing that can stop you. It costs much, but it's worth the cost. It costs everything. This is the Fire Podcast. When Brad McCoy was here, he gave us, uh, actually gave this, this word to us when we were in Texas, and then he reiterated it, that Nehemiah was going to be a, uh, a perfect picture for us of what we're doing in the city, the book of Nehemiah. And so uh, the context of Nehemiah, this is where we're going to start tonight, is um, the context of Nehemiah is uh, Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, the Babylonians had destroyed the city, left the city in ruins, uh, and the walls torn down. And obviously that, that's a big deal, um, especially in those times, because that meant anybody could come in and pillage and, and uh, terrorize your people at any time. And, uh, and so Nehemiah comes into the story in this place where he is the cupbearer for King Ar- Ar- Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, something like that, Artaxerxes, I'm going to go with that. Um, and Nehemiah finds out he's not even living in Israel. He's with a foreign king, and he finds out what's happening in his home and the place that he loves. And uh, he begins to, uh, he's sad, he's weeping about it. The king notices he's not okay and gives him permission and resource and armed guards to go and rebuild the walls of his city. And so we're, we're jumping in in... Um, Nehemiah uh, chapter 2 says, So I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I arose in the night, and I had a few men with me, and I, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one I, I wrote, on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate and the dragon spring to the, uh, to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered uh, by the valley gate and so returned. And those officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had, I had yet to uh, told the Jews, yet to tell the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were, uh, were, who were to do the work. 
Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins, with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let, Let's rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the, the good work. But when Sanballat the, the Horonite, which is a horrible name, uh, both Sanballat and Horonite, uh, and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The king of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or, or right or claim in Jerusalem. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelations. We, we just ask that you, spirit of wisdom and revelation that you come, you come, that you, you make your word alive to us now. Come and burn us, God. Let your word burn in us. Let this assignment, let the, let the call that we're all here for in this city burn inside of us. God, I ask that, that tonight there be an impartation of faith to the faith to actually believe that we can see a city transformed. And I ask for boldness to be released tonight to us to walk in what you're asking of us. And God, we just say thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your story. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your story, Lord. We're so honored to walk with you. Thank you. So tonight, this I am going to do vision in two parts. Um, so vi- the tonight is the first part of that. So I'm going to share how we got to this point, talking about fire, um, what I believe is coming for us, what it will require of us, and then we'll examine the wall together. Uh, next main gathering in two weeks, uh, which is November 20th, I believe, um, I'm going to share uh, about King's Priest Prophets, which is like the primary piece of the vision on how to actually accomplish this, how, how we're all missionaries, and the vision to transform the city. Um, so today is kind of like the what and why, and uh, the next one will be the how, how we're going to accomplish this. So I want to share briefly like a piece of the history of fire. So fire, this was birthed out of, uh, some of you heard this with Brad McCoy, but um, it came from this place of God had, even before I met them, before I got filled with the Holy Spirit, um, I had met Jesus and I was, I would hear God's voice every so often, like every few months, I would hear him in a way that was undeniable. And this one of those times, God spoke to me and said I was going to be a part of starting something called Fire on Campus, which was uh, the Ohio State University. Um, and then I end up at the at the uh, the nuns' convent where I got filled with the Holy Spirit. That Brad, I met Brad McCoy at. They had been praying for six months and had six months of prophecies for somebody who was going to come from Ohio State. And, and then there, there I am, and I remember Brad crying, I mean, not really understanding what was going on, uh, but he was crying because it was an answer to the six months of praying for someone, and they had all these words that we're now walking in. Uh, this was 2010. So now, you know, 12 years removed, we're walking in, in the result of these words that they had for me then. Um, fire then grew because I 
in that, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, but then I, I realized I can hear God. It doesn't, it's not just the big person on stage that can, that can hear God, that can pray for the sick, that can lead someone to Christ, that can baptize someone. It, it was now, oh, this is something I can do. No one had ever made that clear to me. I'd been in, in miracle environments. I'd seen people I knew get uh, miraculously healed. I've been miraculously healed, uh, medically documented. And so I knew God was real. I just didn't know he wanted to do it through me. And so that changed everything. That's what fire was birthed out of was this like, uh, this raising up people to do the stuff. Like, we can do this too. Um, and so uh, that led me to this place of uh, we started inviting people and it started growing. This was all happening at the prayer house at Ohio State. And then I, it got to the point we needed to name it because at that point we were just doing things like um, meals. And so we did like, we'd do tacos. And so we did Jesus and tacos, which got a lot of people really upset because I used a picture of Jesus holding two tacos and a sombrero. Um, so eventually we realized we needed to name it and, and come up with something. So I was, I was reminded, it was an awesome picture. I got so many religious people really upset. Um, yeah, so anyways, um, it got me in this place where I was like, okay, God, we got to name this. And then I started remembering what God had spoken to me like a, a year and a half or so, two years before, which was fire. And I was like, oh, this is fire. It's happening at Ohio State. It's, it's birth here. Um, what is it? Like, what, what is fire? What does that mean? And I didn't really know the Bible. When I got, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I shared that like... Um, I just didn't know scripture at all. I was so confused. I had heard stories throughout my life, uh, but I didn't really know scripture. So I'm like, fire, that's not really good. Fire is like hell. <laughs> you know, it's judgment. It's, I'm like, why would we name our, <laughs> why would we name our ministry uh, or what's happening hell or judgment? And so I went, um, I, I got invited by my friend Brian Williams. He was speaking at IHOP in Kansas City, um, the prayer house, not the restaurant. And, um, he invited me to go down with him. I'm like, they pray 24-7 here. This has got to be a good place to hear God. Um, and so I remember being so frustrated and just like, God, you got to speak to me on what fire is. And I heard him say, look up the story of Elijah. So I'm like, okay. I, and I Googled Elijah fire and came to the Battle of Mount Carmel, which if some of you guys know that story, for First uh, Kings 18. And basically the setup here is you have King Ahab, who's the king of Israel, and he's married to a woman named Jezebel, not a great woman. And uh, they've allowed all these false prophets and false religion to run rampant to the point it's destroying Israel. And so Elijah challenges the false prophets uh, publicly to a demonstration. And he, he basically says, we're going to we'll set up an altar and we'll both call down fire from heaven. And whoever's God answers by fire, their God is the real God. And... Long story short, I'm going to hit a lot of scripture tonight, so I'm not, I, can't, I can't read all of this and get into all of it. But long story short, their God doesn't answer. Our God does, answers by fire. He goes, slaughters all the false prophets. Um, and that became this, uh, this calling that we carried. Um, and I was like, now this is, I still don't understand it, but over time I've started to understand. Part of the calling of fire is... We're called to, to give a demonstration of the real God that exposes the false. 
And so that's been a consistent part of our ministry over and over and over again. Um, it always exposes stuff. It always makes people upset. Um, and that's okay. Um, they'll get over it. So then in 2017, um, many of you guys know this part of my story, but um, I hit this point where we were part of a church that was seeing miracles. Um, Ashley went there, the Lewis's, like... Um, our church, we, we saw so many dead raisings that Bethel sent a team to investigate and interview people. Like, it was, stuff was happening. Um, and in the midst of all that, I was finding myself very unsettled, very frustrated. And the thing I was getting frustrated over was the lack of transformation. Because miracle signs and wonders are awesome. I love that stuff. We're going to see that stuff here. But without uh, true transformation, it's scary to me, um, and that and that's what I was hitting is this, you know, looking at like the children of Israel, and I'm like the children of Israel, outside of Jesus's ministry, saw the greatest signs, wonders, and miracles that we've heard of. I mean, literally led by a cloud in the sky, uh, you know, a cloud by day, f- a fire <laughs> by night, and still consistently turned away from God, consistently didn't believe God. Um, and so you can see all the miracles, you can see all the signs and wonders, all that stuff. But I was watching people's lives not be transformed. And so I'm looking at the gospel and I'm saying, okay, the gospel is better than this. And I want the real thing. And so it led me to this place um, uh, where my wife and I, we just started pursuing anybody we saw that knew God and actually saw transformation. And, um, and then that led me to, I had a series of dreams that led me to pursue this guy named David Hogan. And um, David Hogan is wild and untamed and offensive, um, very much like a, a modern-day Paul. Like, his, his resume is he's been shot in the head, left for dead, beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked. Like, literally all the stuff that's happened to him. Started thousands of churches on all the livable continents. Um, and... Um, so we started pursuing, I had these dreams about him, and then found out he was going to be in the area, so I pursued him, got in every meeting, I literally just did my job from the road, and went to every meeting that he would have, and I would just stand in the back of the room and, and ask God, touch me like you've touched him, I want to know you how, you how he knows you, I'd watch Catherine Kuhlman, and I'd say, God, I want to, I want to Holy Spirit, I want to know you how she knows you, um, and, um, God started to do something in, in us that was very profound, both my wife and I, and uh, we actually ended up in uh, getting invited to Mexico, and so we got to go spend a, a, a little bit of time with him from like Christmas until into the new year a little bit, and uh, with him and his family staying in his house, and I got to not only see like what he was doing and ask him questions, but I, I got to interview the people that had been raised from the dead because they've had um, tons and tons of people. It's, uh, I don't even know how many at this point, but it was a common occurrence that we would be in a, in a meeting and somebody would get up and give a testimony that they just got raised from the dead that week. Um, just like the craziest environment. And I, I remember, uh, I remember being, uh, seeing the cartels. I remember flying into an airport that was cartel-controlled. Um, but most of all, I remember one of the meetings, there were two significant things that happened. There was, uh, we were up on a mountain. This is an outdoor meeting under this overhang thing, but there were like probably 300 or 400 people there. There's so much I could say about this, but there was a guy, uh, a cartel member who came to the meeting and gave his life to Jesus, and I got to be the one to pray for him. So I'm holding this guy who's literally killed people, for the cartels, and he's crying 
uncontrollably under the presence of God in my hands. I'm just holding his face, and then I hug him, which is not typical in that culture. Um, And I'll never forget walking away from that, and one of the missionaries named Isaac walking up to me, and he said he'll be dead within two weeks, and he knows it. Him and his, his whole family are going to get killed because of his decision today. And that was like, that to me, I was like, I haven't seen a gospel that most of the people we see saved were begging them just to pray a prayer. And I hadn't seen a gospel where people, knowing they're putting their whole family at risk, and that was basically guaranteed. Because literally cartel members were in the woods watching us as we're having this meeting. I hadn't seen a gospel like that that someone would say, yes, I still want this Jesus. Most of what we had seen in, in the American church, most of what I had experienced, I thought, I wouldn't die for any of this. There's, there's very little, and, and I would even push that question back on you guys as you're hearing this. Just think about that. Like, how much of what we call church is worth dying for? It's, it's little to none of it. The things that matter, we had, we had lost. And it, it, it sent me, well, so I'm going to have myself. So, and then there was a point that David Hogan came over to me, and he got nose-to-nose with me. And this whole time, he had been kind of training me in what they, what they do, and it, which is odd because that's not him. Uh, but he would do something and teach me, do something and teach me. And this was like the final thing. He came to me, got nose-to-nose with me, super intense. And he, he said... Uh, it was like I was looking in the eyes of Jesus himself. He got, he was like right there, and he said, I need you to go do, he was pleading with me. He said, I need you to go do this somewhere. It doesn't have to be here. Just find somewhere and go do this. And I felt the presence of God go through me. And this like, this put us in such a weird spot. We came back. We're still on staff at a church. We're in this position where we're burning. We're burning, and now we're missional. You know, like, the, something happened to us that we're now this missional heart, and we're like, go send us somewhere to die. We're ready to go die for the gospel. And then God says, go to Seattle. And that was hard, because we're like, we're ready to go die in a, vi- a village. We're ready to go be poor. And it's like, go to Seattle. Go to Seattle. And so here we are. We're living in the midst of another Reformation. We just celebrated Reformation Day, which is about Martin Luther, um, Martin Luther, who uh, had his 95 Thesis, which uh, he nailed to the door of the church. Um, what many don't understand is he wasn't disputing the church, or it wasn't a declaration. It was questions, and what he was doing is he was posing his questions in this 95, these 95 questions of like, hey, why do we believe this? And what he was hoping for is what they would do is they'd actually have debates, almost like a, a, a jury kind of set up, and a judge and jury, and people would give their two sides, and they'd figure out what they believed, and that's what he thought was going to happen. The problem was what he, what he posted on the door when others began to read it, they realized that everything that they had been told had been a lie, that they had been manipulated by the church, that they had been manipulated uh, over money. Most of the 95 Thesis is about money. And these Germans 
especially these German, uh, you know, the people that couldn't read Latin, that had been told this is what the Bible says, now all of a sudden he's posing these questions, and he poses it in German, and they can read it, and these German, especially farmers and things, were not very happy, and um, they took matters in their own hands, and they went around beating up priests and everything else, but it was because the people were so done, they were done with religion, and so was Martin Luther, and I believe we're in another day like that. I believe we're in another shift, one of the greatest shifts in the in the church, and we happen to be the people alive right now. There's something really dramatic happening, and and you know, many were were prophesying this and feeling this even before COVID and all this stuff. But we're seeing a transformation. We're seeing a dissatisfaction. Bobby Connor said that I forget exactly how he said this, but he said that God God released this was like four or five six years ago. That God released a holy dissatisfaction among the people. Because if, if we're satisfied, we'll settle. If we're satisfied, we'll accept the normal. But there's this dissatisfaction that's happening in people. And so um, we're in the midst of that, that transformation. The, uh, and, and religion, so religion is form without power. It's having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So God, uh, everything that, that God is and God has for us brings transformation. Religion looks like removing all of that. We look right. We say the right things. We do the right things. But there's no transformation. People aren't being transformed. And that's always something to pay attention to. If there aren't real transformations happening uh, in any place in your life, that's a good, start to look and see, like, is this a place that I've allowed form without power? Because we need the power. We need, we need Him. We need Holy Spirit operating in us. And so if, I can't, I don't have the time to do this today, but if you go throughout history, Book of Acts, everything the church needed to be successful and expand across the earth was given to us in the book of Acts. The early church was fully equipped. And then religion systematically, you can go through the years, systematically removes every piece of it. And then revivals look like each time God is just like taking a single piece of it and being like, hey, I'm trying to give this back to you. Please take a hold of this again. And so I feel like we're in a day where um, it's time to go after it all again. We need it all. We have to have it all. The, the time's too urgent. And so um, what we're doing here is a labor uh, to build for where the church is headed in the coming days, not where the church is. I, I believe that we have to begin to position ourselves for what's to come. There's a lot of what we're doing here um, that I feel like... Oh, I won't get into that right now. And so here's what we're going to do. I want to examine the wall for a second together, the wall that is... Seattle, the wall around Seattle. We're going to examine the wall just like in the book of Nehemiah. So I was driving through the city, and this was like the big shift for me. When God, uh, this was several months ago, God finally spoke and was like, now I want you to start the church now. And I was still kind of fighting God on it, and I'm like, you know, I'm comfortable now. Like, I'm at this place, I actually really enjoy where we're at. I don't really want to start a church. Um, and I remember I was driving through the city, and I was on the highway, and I heard, I heard the thing that everyone always says about Seattle. Oh, it's so dark. I heard that. I, like, almost audibly, I heard somebody say, Seattle's so dark. And then I, in my spirit, just with so much force, I heard God say, just like in, in, the, in, in the Garden of Eden, um, he says to them, he says, who told you that? Basically, who deceived you? And I heard him say that phrase. I heard, I heard somebody say, Seattle's so dark. And I heard him so adamantly say, who told you that? 
Who told you that? And then he said to me, he said, many have by faith partnered with the darkness instead of realizing what I want to do. And so as we look at the wall, I'm not, I don't want us to examine the wall to see how dark it is. The, the apostolic, I, I want us to think apostolically. The beauty of the apostolic is the apostolic sees darkness and sees an opportunity. It sees a canvas. Where, where most would see the darkness and be like, wow, this is, you know, this would be so hard. The apostolic sees the darkness as like, wow, what if, what if it looked like this? And what if God did this? And what, what would happen if, if this people group got touched? And so um, let's examine the wall. Homelessness and drug use is at unprecedented levels in our, in our, in our city. Um, we're some of the highest in the country. The reason is because we have some of the highest um, social supports for homeless people. Um, but there's an issue that the government cannot answer here. They're trying, but they can't. Prostitution. Our prostitution is so high in Aurora, the red light district on Aurora, they actually bring girls from other cities in the country to service Seattle because there's such a high demand. Like, that's insane. We have the second highest suicide rate in the country among the largest metropolitan cities. And the list, I, I won't even go through everything. The list goes on and on. But cities and nations have fivefold callings. So, you know, fivefold is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I believe cities and nations actually have fivefold callings on them, that there's things that they're called to do. Like, um, America, we are an evangelistic nation, and we're called to. Uh, spread and resource uh, revival and missions all over the world. Like, that's part of our calling here. Um, and I believe that uh, Seattle is an apostolic city. I think you see this in, the, in our culture, in the things that whatever's here gets sent out. It spreads. And, and so um, that's the good and the bad. So we got, you know, Microsoft, Starbucks, Amazon, Costco, T-Mobile, Nordstrom, Boeing, Nintendo of America, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Um, you know, but whether it's, it's technology or uh, demonic agendas, burnt coffee, uh, e-commerce, or a move of God, I believe that God, whatever's, whatever happens here is going to get sent. And so can you see the possibilities can you see the beauty of what we have here? Like just what Brad McCoy said is he said, you're at the part of the story that I read to you guys in the opening. We're at the part of the story where just a few people get together and look at the wall. And he's saying, we can do this. And what's crazy is the wall that had been down for over a century, they were able to rebuild in 52 days. That God strengthened their hands and the unity of coming together to, to, to solve the issue was able to be solved in 52 days. Something that couldn't be solved in, in over 100 years. It was like 114 years, something along those lines. When I was at Bethel a few weeks ago, um, they called pastors up on the stage and Peter and I went up. And um, Richard Gordon laid hands on me. And when I, when I went on the ground... Um, I fell to the ground, and I went into a vision, and in this vision, I saw this, the, the skyline of Seattle, and I saw the blood, the blood of Jesus just running down, running down the Space Needle, running down different buildings, 
And then uh, a lady named uh, Lynn gave us the same, she had a dream and shared this dream or a vision or something. And she's like, I feel like I'm supposed to share this with you. And she saw this drop of blood fall uh, from the sky and land on a city. I believe that's, that his blood was spilled for Seattle. I believe that he wants to do something amazing here. And I believe the harvest is ready. Uh, in Matthew 9.35, <laughs> uh, Jesus, Jesus went through all the cities and, and villages. This is uh, verse 35. Uh, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Doesn't that sound like the people of Seattle? Harassed and helpless? Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And there's no separation. The separations, we, you know, the numbers and all that, that's all made by people. And it, literally, the, the next chapter starts with and. So he literally says, pray for laborers. And he called, him, he, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority. So he immediately makes them the answer. He tells them to pray for it and then makes them the answer. Uh, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. The harvest is ripe here. And we've prayed. I, I think everyone here has probably prayed for Seattle. You know, you've got church planners from West Seattle here tonight. Um, you've got people from other churches and stuff. Like, we've all prayed for the city. We love this city. We want to see this city thrive. But we're the answer. Like, he, want, he actually wants to partner with us to reach the city. There's so many prophetic words over what we're doing here. That this would be a place of oil, a place that burned out, hopeless people would come and be renewed, um, that there'd be a, a, such a peace here that people would walk in and, and uh, oppression and chains would lift off them. Haley Braun prophesied, he's going to bring you worshipers, he's going to bring you Levites. And she said, thank you God that you're raising up Seattle to be a crown of glory on your head. Fill them with holy fire. Apostle Axel Sipic, who will probably be here in January with us, he prophesied that God didn't want to send another revival without reformation, and that's why we're here, is to bring reformation. He also prophesied that many of the unfulfilled words over Seattle would be fulfilled through us. Here's some other things I, I feel like we're about to see. Um, God gave me this word, and I actually just got a, a dream that was really similar to this, uh, to some parts of this, but I, when I read Acts 10, I felt like the Lord said that that was going to be something that we'd walk in. In Acts 10, you have this thing where Peter... Apostle Peter has this vision, all its, you know, animals are coming down, I won't get into all of it, but basically it's all these things that are unclean in their tradition, and God says to him, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And then these men show up from this guy named Cornelius' house, and they're like, hey, will you come, will you come uh, speak to him? And so he comes and shows up to Cornelius' house, and, he, and Cornelius, we'll start in verse 30, he says, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house in the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. So this, this man who doesn't know God, he was seeking after God, and an angel shows up to him and says, Hey, he's heard you. 
and the way you've been generous has been seen by God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is now call, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon. Uh, and I'll skip ahead. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have commanded by the Lord. So Cornelius gathers his family and other people into this house to meet this guy because an angel showed up to him. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right uh, is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know uh, what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God, so he's sharing the gospel, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of, of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put, him, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people to testify that he is the one appointed by God to, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here's, and then this is the point I want us to get. While Peter was still saying these things, so he's literally just, while he's preaching the gospel to these Gentiles, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. So all these Jews were like, they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. He's just preaching the gospel. They're not Jews. How are they getting filled with the Holy Spirit? For, we, for they were hearing them speak in tongues and ex, uh, extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So Cornelius' whole household was saved because he started seeking God before he even knew who God was. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit during the preaching. We've already seen this happen once, and I feel like it was a sign. Um, I think it's the first time that I know of that that's ever happened in, in uh, any ministry I've been a part of. Um, was we were worshiping, and uh, one of the guys got filled with the Holy Spirit, who many of you guys know. And getting to talk to him, I got to talk to him like a week and a half ago, and him talking about how much that transformed his life. He didn't even want to be there that night. He wasn't asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He was just in the, in the atmosphere and got filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe we're about to see that be common. I think that that's going to be a common miracle that happens here, that as worship happens, as preaching happens, the people get filled. Also, the last few times I have preached anywhere, I've seen people manifest demons as I'm preaching and get set free without having hands laid on them. That's new. Like, that hasn't been something that I've commonly walked in. Um, but I believe we're going to see Holy Spirit do the work. It's, it's really, it's going to be, we're going to set the stage for him and just get out of the way and let him do it. And he's going to come and touch people. I also think we're going to see uh, household salvations. Um, and we're going to see people start to get marked by God before they even walk in the, in the doors of the church. I think this is similar to what the dream that she had. But I think we're going to begin to see people experiencing God and we're going to be almost interpreting what's happening for them. That, that we're going to run into people and they're going to be like, this weird thing was happening or describing something, even signs and wonders and weird things. Like, I, I, I believe that's going to happen. 
Another thing is I believe this is going to be a place where physical and spiritual barrenness is broken. Um, that I know that that's an anointing that especially my wife carries, um, but I really felt like that was something that people were uh, physically and spiritually barren, that, thing, that that's going to be broken off them here. We're going to experience redeeming stories. I believe we're going to see things like the demoniac. The demoniac was so crazy that they had him chained up in a cave. And he would sit and cut himself and was terrifying. And it took one encounter with Jesus for him to become a missionary. For him to go and tell everyone what happened to him. Or the woman at the well. This is still one of my favorite stories. I think it's one of the best pictures of the gospel and everyone tells the story wrong, in my opinion. Because once I once I heard this, this changed everything for me. I was like, why didn't ever, why didn't anybody ever teach me that story like that? You've got this woman. At, she's at the well. She's a, she's a Samaritan, and she runs into Jesus, and he says, "Can you get me some water?" And she's like, "You're a Jew. Why are you even talking to me?" So she immediately puts up this barrier of there's a racial issue here. She puts up this, this smoke screen, and he cuts right through it to make the story really short, and gets to the heart of the matter, and, and he does it with a question. Go, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, I know, you've actually had five husbands, and the one you're with won't even marry you. And she says, I perceive you're a prophet. And it's kind of like, yeah, <laughs> at that point. Um, what's beautiful about this story, though, I've always heard that story, like she's this just like, sleeping around with all these guys, just can't stay with a man. And that's not what Jesus is pointing out. He's not, he's not actually pointing out her sin. And the reason is, is because a woman at that time couldn't give a certificate of divorce. So she couldn't have left any of the men. What he's actually pointing out is her rejection. He's saying to her, you've been rejected five times. You've had men abandon you. And the one you're with now doesn't even care about you enough to want to marry you. And she's like, he, he acknowledges and, and hits like right to the point of her pain, right to that place, the thing that, that the rejection, the, 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 the trauma that would come of that, of, of no one caring. And he's essentially saying, there's a man standing before you that's ready to accept you, that's ready to love you. And that's what transforms her life. And what Early church history, depending on who you talk to, because a lot of this kind of uh, gets skewed because women aren't, aren't named or, or recorded in the same way, but she, she goes on to lead a revival, and she's in early church history considered one of the first female apostles. She actually um, so transforms the area and raises up all these female disciples to the point that Nero was terrified of her. He, he, uh, she would literally walk into his throne room and confront him on stuff. And they tried to kill her, or according to church history, tried to kill her over and over again. And once again, according to church history, this could be true, it might not be, but I think it's pretty beautiful. She finally died when she was thrown in a well. That was the th- when they finally were able to kill her and send her to be with Jesus in the same place she met him. But I believe that this is going to be a well, that this is going to be a place that people come and meet Jesus, that, that no matter the barriers they try to put up, the smoke screens they try to put up, that they'll meet the one that knows and sees and cares and is ready to love them and accept them.
So I'm going to talk about what this requires of us. Um, we're here for him. Uh, that's it. I mean, I hope you guys saw that tonight. Our sound system messes up, so it's like, oh, it's cut off. <laughs> we're just worship here. Like, we don't care. Like, the, the production and stuff, like, that stuff's, it's good. It's, it's great. If we can do things with excellence, I want to do things as, as, as best as we can with where we're at. Um, but that never takes precedence over the presence of God or over what Holy Spirit wants to do. Um, we pour out on him. We're here. That's what we're here for. And it's so easy, and we're so trained in our consumeristic culture to come, and we just want God to touch us. And most of us don't experience God in the way we want to because that's how we approach him. And God is, I, I, a guy named Nathan Pinocchio, just, uh, I listened to his, a recent message, and he was talking about God is love. We fully believe that. That's scriptural. But God's only references love twice in the Bible and over 300 times as holy. And so I, I feel like a lot of times we're coming, we're coming just because we want to be loved, and really, we need to approach Him as holy, and He'll still He's still going to love us. He's still going to pour out on us, um, but we're coming for Him. We're here for Him. We're worshiping for Him. Our our whole thing, our whole the reason we're doing all this is because He's worth it. That's it. He's worth it. He's worth if we're going to worship long, if we're going to sit on the floor, whatever. He's worth it. Like, that, being here on a Sunday night, driving to Belltown, being in it, you know, it's not the greatest of areas out there at night, uh, but he's worth it. We, we want to see him get his full reward in this city. It'd be much easier. We could go somewhere else. We could go somewhere it's easier. We could go somewhere that's more church and have a successful big something, and that would be, it could be great, you know, but he might not be in it. And if he's not in it, what are we doing? So we're here for him. Worship's our focus. Our lives are worship, not just this moment that we play music and sing together. Like, our lives are worship unto him. And we're here to minister to him and to his heart. Next is hunger. Hunger is a key. Hunger is, like, the main message of my life. Um, because I've, it's just, it's, it's led to everything I have. Matthew 5, 6 is the verse that's, that, to me, was like, it gave me permission. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It, it be, it, when Jesus spoke those words, it became the law of the universe. That actually, if you will hunger, you will be filled. That is, that is what will happen to you. You will be filled. You will, everything you, uh, that God has for you will happen in your life if you remain hungry. And so, we have to be hungry for his glory. We have to be hungry for more. It's so easy to get complacent and comfortable and, um, and uh, just satisfied with what we have. There's more. There's more of him. He's, he is actually worth us fully pursuing always and going after more and learning more about and figuring out what he enjoys and likes and doing those things. And hunger will cause you to seek um, in Proverbs it says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. So it's the glory of God to hide something. It's the glory of kings to seek it out. And we're called a royal priesthood, and we're called to seek out the things of God. And he's actually hidden things for us. There's divine Easter eggs for, for us to go find. And many are, are willing to settle with Sunday Christianity and, and cultural Christianity. But we can't be those people. And so we have to, we have to keep a hunger in us. We have to be the ones that are willing. And, and I've seen this. We saw this in Columbus and with the people we were with. And I was, 
I was so impressed because with that group of people, we had a bunch of young, a lot of young kids and stuff that n knew nothing, you know, they, they really, and, but they fell in love with Jesus and they would be willing to drive, you know, a long way just to go meet God somewhere or because they heard somebody who carries God is going to be somewhere and and that's beautiful and and for some reason like in Christianity when you first get saved you're much more open to that and then you get more mature and then it's it's like oh yeah I remember when I was like that like I absolutely refuse to be the people that that talk like that you know I don't want to be the the one that's like I remember talking to people that came out of the Jesus movement Jesus movement happened in the 70s. It was profound. I think we're seeing signs of it now. We've got prophetic words that we're going to walk in some similar things. I won't talk about all that right now. But I, I've talked to people from the Jesus movement who saw miracle signs and wonders, saw God move, saw that great. I mean, they were baptizing thousands of people in, in the Pacific Ocean uh, in California. And it, it started happening across the country and it happened across the world. And they're like talking about how awesome that was. And they're satisfied with the fact that they were a part of a movement 40 years ago. I don't ever want to be those people. I want to always keep in the place that we're hungry. And God, what are you doing now? And I'm willing to go wherever that is. Like, I, I'm not just going to stay here and hope that you touch me and that you do it here. If I find out you're moving somewhere, I'm going to go experience it. I want to be where you are. And I, I, think, I think that that's the way we've got to think. And we've got to get past some of our cultural Christianity that we've, we've got. It's, it's got us very complacent. Um, the next thing, he's worth it all. Like I said, our, our, our uh, mission statement or phrase or whatever you want to call it, I don't care. May Jesus receive his full reward in our lives, our city, and the nations of the world because he's worth it. That's what we're here for. He's worthy of the city, this city, of this nation, and the nations of the world. You can't, we can't look at our problems in, G, in Jesus at the same time. Like if we, if we just realize he's worth it, everything else will get taken care of. If we can just keep our eyes on him. It's also going to require us to lay down our opinions. We gather around Jesus, not our opinions. Everyone has an opinion. Every, you know, none of them actually matter. And the more we realize that, the better. We gather around Him. There's, there's going to be, there's going to be people who come here of different political beliefs, different uh, minor theological beliefs. All that stuff's going to happen. Different cultural beliefs. This is a, such a diverse city in so many ways. Um, and the one requirement we're going to have being here is like, you can have a seat at the table, but it's about him. It's, it's about him. Michael Culliano said this at the conference we, we were at. He said, you cannot generate a move of the spirit. You can only yield and cooperate with it. And so I think people even have opinions about what a move of God is. How do you get one started and all, all these things? We can't generate it. We're just going to yield to it. He's doing something. We're just figuring out how do we how do we become a part of it? How do we catch the wind? How we want things is irrelevant. We're here for him. Um, we love the bride. So nothing we're doing here is to say we're better than the church down the street. A.W. Tozer said, "Has it ever occurred to you?" Actually, I'm going I'm to skip over that. Um, we're here. We're here to play. We're here to play our part. 
and we're part of we're part of a, a, a bigger, more beautiful thing that's happening, and we have a part in it, and we're going to do our part really well. Um, and I hope if you aren't a part of this and you're part of Vision Church, like play your part really well. Um, that is so important, and that's all that's all that's required. People have opinions. Different parts of the, of the body have different assignments. This is something that I think is so hard. I'm, even my friends, like my friends in ministry and stuff, get in places where they make big statements about other churches should be doing this, this, or this. And I just like, I always try to step back with them and, and, and bring the point, well, maybe they have a different assignment than you. It's really easy to be like, well, this, my assignment, this is the most important thing. And if you're not doing this, you're not doing what God said. And that's not actually true. Like, is it possible that God could call one uh, church to be really political and outspoken and going after Reformation politically and another church to stay silent on that but to love a different group of people that they would actually eliminate themselves? So, uh, you know, take, take an example. There's, there's people, and I'm not talking about celebrity pastors, but there's people who are working with celebrities and people in Hollywood there are certain ways that if they, if they did certain things, they would immediately cut off any influence to the people they're trying to reach. And so we have to have wisdom to do what, what is God telling us to do? And that's not, there's a balance between what's fear, fear of man, and what is wisdom. But every single person here, you have a call. And, and then our church, we have a call. And so we have to figure out how do we walk in our call well? And and just because somebody else is doing something different doesn't make them wrong. And that's the thing is, as we're in between wineskins of the church, I think this is worth saying, there's an old wineskin that has worked, still is working for some churches, and we have to learn to honor that as we're in this like middle ground trying to figure out the new wineskin with God. And it's really, I think one of the things that will kill any move that is trying to do the new thing is when you start to attack the old thing. And that's not, we're not here to do that. Um, we honor the churches that are doing something else. As long as they're honoring Holy Spirit, love Jesus, like, uh, they, they keep running. Um, obviously, there are some that need to repent, change what they're doing. Um, the other thing is, we must build purposefully and be flexible. So... Um, it's really easy to establish a church and build tradition and then not want to move from it. This is the reason we have so many mainline denominations birthed out of revival that are as dead as anything now. Um, and so we have to be flexible. We have to be willing to... Um, we're paying the cost of building something different. And so in doing that, um, it means that there's going to be trial and error. It means that we're going to try something and be like, wow, that was really good for a week. <laughs> but now we're going to try something else. Or, wow, we tried that and that God wasn't on that at all. Um, or it might mean we build something established, we do it, and it's great. And then God's like, okay, now do it this way. Um, I, I never want to get to the place that the cloud moves and Jesus moves on, and we're still, because we built this really great thing, we don't want to move on. That is like, that is the downfall of so many ministries, and so many believers too, because that's like, you can even do that in your individual walk. My walk has always looked like this, and God's like, I'm asking you to do this, but it's always looked like this, so I'm going to stay here, and, and he will just keep moving on. He'll love you, you'll love Jesus till the end of your days and go to heaven, but you won't have an impact. So impact comes through partnership, through co-laboring with him. So if he moves, we're moving with him. Um, yeah. 
This is the other thing. I will not, with God's help, I will never protect what I've built from him. You guys catch what I'm saying? I won't, I won't build something and then try to protect this thing I built from him. Like, please don't touch this. I don't, we're not going to do that. We're not going to protect the thing from him. We're going to protect his heart and his will. And the last one is generosity. So I'm going to do a whole message on, uh, a, a single message on money um, in the coming months. I don't know when. Uh, but I think this is really cool. So uh, this is Matthew 22, and it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had, he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, <laughs> it's funny, I've never noticed that before until I was getting this together. I've never noticed that it says a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great, the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your soul and with your mind. That is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So love God, love people. We are, we've heard that. So I want to talk about the tithe real quick. So tithing, um, there's somebody who taught us this, and this is like, this brought so much life to the tithe in a way I'd never heard. I've heard it so many different ways, um, like, you know, paying God to breathe his air and different things, people I respect and love. Um, but um, the tithe comes from Abraham. And uh, so Abraham had this, this experience. Stuff was stolen from him. Abraham, you're distracting people. Um, so, so Abraham, his stuff was stolen from him from these kings, and so he gathers his servants and they go and fight and take back his stuff from these kings. Uh, these, I think, is nine kingdoms, and and those, and he not only takes his his gold, but he takes all of the wealth of those nine kingdoms with him. And as this caravan of wealth is coming back he comes across a man named Melchizedek. He recognizes heaven is on this man. Like, whoever this man is, he recognizes God. He sees God in this moment. And out of that, his response, after this great victory in battle, his response is to take a tithe, a tenth, of everything he just conquered and put it at the feet of Melchizedek. And so, this brought so much life to the tithe, it's... It's definitely, it's your first fruits. It's all, it's all those things. But we, we always take the, the parts of the law that teach the tithe and get caught up in that as like the heart of the tithe. It should be the first thing you do. It, like, that's all good. But really, it's, it's you go out into the world and you bring in unrighteous mammon. You bring in this money, this thing that is a tool. It's neither evil nor good, uh, but we bring it in. We bring it in, and now it's in your hands, which means it's in the kingdom's hands. And as we conquered and brought in money during the week, during two weeks, during a month, we now take a tenth of everything we brought in, and the first thing we do with it is we honor God, and we lay at his feet. It's a celebration of the victory that we just had. It's honoring our king. And so when I think about this, when I think of love God, love people, and then in Luke, Luke 16, it says, um, Jesus said, uh, if you then have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? He's talking about spiritual riches. So if you can't even be faithful in money, 
This is, a, this is a kingdom principle. Jesus said, if you can't be faithful in money, how can you be faithful with the greater spiritual things? There's a lot of people, they want to see God move more in their life, but they can't even honor God with their money. Like, he can't even give them more because they can't even steward the most basic of things. That leads and shows where their heart is. Money reveals your heart. So our hearts are, if your heart's in the right place, love God looks like tithes and offerings. And then love people is generosity. It's being generous to those around us. It's Acts 2, no one had need. It's, it's us serving each other and loving each other that way. And so one of the things that's required of us is true generosity. It's we're going to love God with our money uh, through tithes and offerings, and we're going to love people through generosity. That's essential, essential. And if you want to see God move in your life, whether you're with us or another church, I encourage you to do those things. And do the tithe is first. Even if it seems like you can't pay everything else, I won't get into all that. So, Jesus said, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but you do not know how to interpret the present time. <laughs> We have to recognize the hour we're in. It's time to run with what God's called us to. One of the things that led up to this church is we both felt like before Ava was born, right before she was born, we just bought a new house. Um, Normally having a baby, you just want to settle in. And God speaks to us both and says it's time to run. And then we began to get that prophetic word over and over again. It's time to run, it's time to run, it's time to run. I believe it's time to run with what God's given us. There's, there's a shaking happening in the church. There's an urgency um, for people to go after the real thing, to grab a hold of Jesus, to, to begin to, to show, uh, show a new way. And that's part of what we're going to pioneer a new way and build out a new way um, through trial and error and uh, failure and all the things. Um, but there's a cost. There really is a cost to build a new thing. And there's a cost to partner with God's heart. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Catherine Kuhlman said, Everything worthwhile costs something. And it's time to pay that cost. That's what I believe. So we're going to build a well. And our old pastor used to, used to say this. Um, he said, there's two types of shepherding. There's shepherding uh, and, and, and raising sheep. There's shepherding where you do a fence, and you have sheep within a fence. And then there's, I think it's in Australia that they do this. There's shepherding where they basically, they don't have any fences, but it's so open, they just put a well. They put a, a water source, and all the, all the sheep stay around the well. They actually don't need a fence. I feel like that's one of the best examples between the pastoral model and the apostolic model is um, the pastoral model is let's create a protection and like and, and, and keep you here and we're gonna keep you safe and take care of you. And the apostolic model is there's a well, you can stay around it or you can die. Like that's kind of, you can, you can try to go somewhere else. Like that's, and that's how they raise their sheep. It's like they're, they're gonna recognize what's here, that there's life here, or they're gonna wander off and die. Um, it's probably a little, little harsh to say it that way, but um, 
But it's, it's, it, that's the apostolic is very much like, we're not going to try to keep you here. We're not going to try to convince you to be here. We're going to build a well, and he's going to be here. And you can be here, or you can go somewhere else, find somewhere else. And you might, you might fit back you might fit better in the Finston area. That might be better. Like, you might fit better in a pastoral model. And there's seasons of life you might need that. If you've been really um, pastoral, the pastoral grace is really about relationships and, and, and wholeness and health in that way. Not that the apostolic doesn't include those things, but sometimes you need that environment to heal. Sometimes you need that environment just to, to get restored after you've been beat up somewhere else. Um, and once again, we will have a pastoral environment. All those things will happen here. But that's not our, we're not making our decisions out of that. Our decisions are not how do we, how do we keep the people we have here and, and, and make sure they're doing well and they're happy with church and all those things. Our, ours is very different. We're, our focus is, is he here? Is he happy being here? Does he want to come back? You know, is he asking us to make any adjustments? That might mean we might make an adjustment and half the church leaves. Um, that's okay. They, they've got to follow God. They've got to hear Holy Spirit for themselves. It's not our job to, to convince them to stay. And so, um, for some, this will be a well that we build together. And some, you know, hearing this, you, you might be called to build the well with us and to build this place that people can come and encounter Jesus and, and have women at the well type experiences where they, they're healed and whole and transformed and become who they're called to be. Others, you might just come to drink from the well, and that's okay. It's actually, there actually is room for both. There's room for the people that just, they, they want to come, attend when we do this, and, and just drink from the well. For some, this will be a place of refreshing. This will be a place to come to when you're, when you're tired, when you're weary. Um, for others, this, this is the expression of church that your heart's been longing for. It may, not, it may not feel like it at this moment. We're growing. Things are awkward, all that, all the things are happening. But this might be like, this might be the church that God's called you to. And so, um, I was going to talk a little bit about like, because I know that there's people that are part of churches that then the, there's going to be the question of, do I leave my church? Do I not? And all that. And I think that is a good question. Um, you do need to commit somewhere. You need to be rooted somewhere. And there is a time to move from one thing to another. That, that's, that's a reality. Um, I've experienced that personally. I know many, many here have. Um, there's definitely reasons not to leave a church, things like frustration and offense, and uh, you got corrected and didn't like it. You didn't like something that was minor doctrine that was said. Um, you don't like the worship or the teaching style. Like, there's different things like that. Um, but uh, there's also right, right reasons to leave. There's, there's times when God actually moves you somewhere else. And in my search, I was like trying to figure out how do I present this well. And I was watching all these YouTube videos of people talking about when to leave your church and all that kind of stuff. And this is kind of interesting. Uh, one of our friends um, sent Milka a video randomly of Vlad Savchuk from Central Washington. Yeah. Um, out of nowhere, sent us this video and was like, have you seen this guy? And 
uh, I watched it. it was the whole thing was literally the answer to my question and he goes through and gives the reasons why like how you can recognize its time how to do it well all those things it was actually really amazing and he was talking about we're in a time of divine transition people all over the world are being transitioned to different places different churches and different things for different assignments and so if anybody's interested in that I can send it to you but it was incredible but one of the things he said that was really highlighted to me without getting into all this that I thought was really interesting he gave this example and um, and in this example, uh, basically he was talking about eagles. And eagles, baby eagles, their their moms make uh, the nest out of sharp. It's like sticks and stuff, so it's sharp. So then she coats it with feathers so that they can sit in and not get poked. And what happens is when they grow and it's time to leave the nest and it's time to learn how to fly, they normally don't want to. They like being cozy in the nest. They like being fed by their mom and not, not doing anything. And so many people, that's the experience. Like God actually has, has you somewhere or has had, I'm not saying this directly to all you guys, um, but for people hearing this go on podcasts and stuff, there's many people that you've, you've had the experience of being someplace that has been that warm place for you. That's been a place of growth. That's been a place of being able to be nurtured and grow. And what we're doing is very missional. This is like, this is the, hey, step into who you're called to be now. Um, and so what happens is once the mom realizes that, what she starts to do is she starts uh, moving the nest around in, inside and moving the feathers to, to make room for the wind to come. And the, she starts flapping her wings and stuff. And the wind comes and moves the feathers out of the way. So now that the birds are agitated and poked by the sticks and so they start, they're unsettled where they're at. They end up in this place where they're unsettled. They're being provoked. And then she actually picks them up and throws them out of, out of the nest. Um, and it reminds me of the video I used to show at fire every so often. If we ever have an ability to play a video, I'll play that one. Um, anyways, so then she throws them out of the nest. And she gives them a chance to learn how to spread their wings and fly. And if they don't, she can always jump further or fly faster and catches them before they hit the ground. And that, you know, the mama eagle is, that, you know, that's like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to do that in people. And so I believe that that's happening. I, that's, that's basically what we experienced at our last church before we moved out here. That's even what started to happen again as we are part of the pursuit and we're like, God's like starts speaking to us about, hey, it's going to be time to do something again. And we're like, but we really don't want to. And then we're being agitated. And it's like, okay. Um, and so I, I felt like that one was really highlighted. So some of you, you're probably experiencing that. You're starting to feel the agitation, the unsettledness, the whatever. And God's like, hey, it's time to fly. Um, and so there's, there's those who are hearing me that it is, it's time for you to step in who you're called to be. But if you do end up leaving a church, do it with honor you have relationship, if you just disappeared from somewhere, like, that's really painful to the people involved, like, have conversations, um, do it really well, if anybody wants to talk about that, I can, I can have those conversations with you and help you do that well. So we're at the end here. Um, Vince, can you come up and play music here in a moment? Yeah, you can just prepare. So, in Nehemiah 2, I'm going to read this again, starting in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem, how Seattle lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the walls of Seattle, <laughs> Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. I believe derision is like mockery. 
which I think about how Seattle's seen around the country. And it's kind of interesting. And I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for, for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you re rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. That's, I feel like that's a word for us. The God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. And he says to them, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. To say this, we will not be deterred by, by critics. Um, our authority comes from God. We're under authority. We have, we have great uh, men and women behind us, and um, we have a five, a, what I call a five-fold five -fold overseers. Like We have people that are in this with us that are speaking into it, um, but we're also under, under the authority of King Jesus, and we're doing this because he said to. We won't have to answer any other thing. So this is my, in closing, I just, I just want to say this to you. So just hear this. Let, let this hit your heart. And then I want to pray for you guys. We're entering a new era in the global church and in this country. Will you join us in the cost of building the new thing? Can you interpret the times we're in? Will you come and die? Will you pay the cost of laying your life down to see his kingdom come? The harvest field of Seattle is ripe. Will you join in the labor? The well needs dug so Holy Spirit can flow freely and lives can be transformed. Will you grab a shovel and dig? We have a part to play in the story of the church in the city. Will you add strength to the call? As Nehemiah put it, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall. The hand of God is on this community for this task. It will not be easy or comfortable, but it will be worth it. If you are weary and need refresh, you're welcome to attend and drink. If this is the ex expression of church you're longing for, come and join us. If the mandate of establishing a throne of worship stirs you, come and join us. If the mission and these words make your heart burn within you, come and join us. The Lord isn't looking for the perfect, just the willing. And so I'm, I was reminded as I was, I was writing those words, I was reminded of in the book of Acts, over and over again, they pray for boldness. They, they pray, as, as they're bold, as they do these bold, outrageous things, they then say, God, make us more bold. And I, there's such a, uh, one of the things that's over, that's over Seattle, over the city, is the spirit of fear. There's a principality-level spirit of fear. And it causes people, believers, uh, non-believers, everyone, it causes people to shrink back. And... Uh, we need boldness. We need boldness to step out. We need, we need boldness to not back down. 
from the call that God's called us to. And also we need faith. And just like I, I prayed at the beginning, I want to, I just want to pray, um, pray for you guys that God will release a faith, whether you're with, with us here or not, like whatever you're in this city, you are a missionary. We, we have to understand that you are a missionary to, to the city. Whether you grew up here or you moved here, you're a missionary to the city. And we have to begin to live that way. We have to live in a place that we're on mission that um, it doesn't mean you don't rest or any of those things, but like when you go to the grocery store, you're on mission. Uh, and we're going to talk more about this in, in two weeks, but your missionary is here and you need to have the faith that you, the part you have to play actually can have an impact, that you actually can transform things. And so we're going to pray for that. And, and then the last thing is, that he'll strengthen our hands for this good work. You know, part of the reason that, that Nehemiah and his team could do this is because the Holy Spirit strengthened their hands so that they could do what they were called to do, uh, which not only was building, but ended up being defending too because of the people attacking them in the midst of it, but they had the strength to do both. Holy Spirit, right now, we just ask you, Lord, I just ask for those three things. I ask for boldness to fall in this room. God, that you release a boldness, a holy boldness, God. Not just being obnoxious to be obnoxious or anything like that, but holy boldness to step out and be who we're called to be. That every person here, that it will become more and more clear who they are. Thank you, God. I ask for faith. I ask for a gift of faith, God, that you not only uh, use the measure of faith we have, but you actually give us your faith. Give us your faith for the city. Give us your vision for the city. And the last thing I just ask for you to strengthen us, God. So I just ask that you, you just release those three things now and mark us Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fire Podcast with Ryan Rhodes. Fire Movement has a mission to bring people face-to-face with the real Jesus. If you love this show and ministry, please consider subscribing, leaving a five-star rating, and most importantly, sharing the podcast with others on social media. Also, would you please consider one-time or monthly support to help us sustain and grow this show so that others can be stirred to hunger for more of the real Jesus? You can do so by going to firemovement.com slash support. Thank you.